Well, it's good to be with you today. My name is Glenn Davis. I'm the Director of Missions for Heart of Kansas Southern Baptist Association. Uh, your church is a part of that association, and uh, we're thankful that you're a part of that. There are about uh, 50 churches or so around the Wichita area that are a part of the association, and uh, you are one of those. Um, I was talking with uh, Tate earlier about um, First Baptist in Clearwater. Uh, they are a part of the association, and... Uh, um, so many other churches. So we're glad that you're a part of that. I told you when I was with you earlier this year that um, it's clear from those of us who are on the outside that God is at work doing something on the inside here at Orchard Community Church. Now, you live in the middle of it. It's kind of like having kids growing up in your house. You don't notice the growth that's happening, but those of us who just look in once in a while, we see it, and God is at work here. And good things are happening. And I, I just want to encourage you today in that regard. I, I think God is at work both in the lives of the people of Orchard, in your hearts. And I think God is at work through the lives of the people at Orchard. And uh, that's commendable. That's uh, a way that I want to encourage you today. You are a part of Heart of Kansas Southern Baptist Association. We are an association of churches that partner together, that share the same values and the same vision. So you say, what do you try to do? What's your mission? As an association of churches, we exist to lead and to assist cooperating churches so that uh, they would cooperate together in the creation of new churches, which is what Orchard is, one of the new churches here, in the creation of as well as in the uh, development of healthy churches. So we want to see new churches planted. Uh, I was talking with George earlier uh, just before the service about the need for churches in Park City and really across Wichita, across the country, we could say, but our focus is here. And so that's why we exist. We, we want to create a culture of trust and cooperation so that we share life together as we do this. One of the lies of the enemy is you have to do things alone. And the enemy wants to say to you, the, our, our enemy, the devil, wants to say to you, do this by yourself. But that's not what God's word says. God's word, God's word says that we're many members of one body, that there's this this unity that needs to happen, this cooperation and this investment in each other. And so we want to create that kind of culture and that kind of trust so that we share life together. You're a part, what I'm trying to say is, you're a part of a group of many churches. Now, what are the values, one of the things that hold us together with other people? If you think about the people that you enjoy spending time with, the people that you connect with, you connect with people who share the same values. Think about that for a minute. So if you value Kansas City Royals baseball, you're probably discouraged right now, but you probably also have some other people that you share life with who value Royals baseball. And Maybe you're thinking, okay, how long till the Chiefs start? I don't know. Royals are not doing very well, I think. But um, we share value. What are the values that cause us as heart of Kansas Southern Baptist Association churches? What are the values that we share? Why do we cooperate together? One of them is, is we share a theological perspective. 
And you say, what does that mean? It means we kind of believe the same things theologically. Those things are outlined in a little document called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. If you want to learn more about Southern Baptist, let me give you a website. You can go to sbc.net and you can learn all kinds of information about who Southern Baptists are. It's a, it's a very helpful website. You can learn a lot there. And if you speak some other language or you have friends who speak some other, other language, there are a gazillion languages available there, French and languages. I don't know where they come from. So a lot of information there. And that could be helpful for you. So one of the things that we value is these these commonly held theological convictions. Another thing that we value is work of the kingdom beyond our local church. So many churches think only about themselves. They think about what's happening at our place, and they don't have any concern about what's happening beyond our place. Uh, Heart of Kansas churches, one of the values we share is not that. We want to care about what's happening beyond us. So you had other churches who partnered with you in the establishment of this church. As a matter of fact, I think uh, maybe while I was interim pastor at First Baptist Mulvane, maybe it was during that time, some guys from there came up and helped you build a stairway outside, right? Build some stairs, is that right? Okay, so these other churches are saying, how can we partner with you? That's a part of what we care about. It's one of the things that we value. So uh, we're not threatened. We don't see other churches as our competition. We see other churches as our partner. We value working together with others to advance the work of the kingdom. We value lifelong learning. So we have pastor clusters and we have training events for pastors because we all realize we need to continue to learn. We value sharing resources for the good of others. We value uh, a variety of ministry models to do the ministry of the kingdom. So everybody that, uh, Rhonda, my wife is with me today, she's with me almost every Sunday, and uh, we end up uh, having the opportunity to visit a lot of different churches across this association. Did you know, from the did you know file, did you know that not all of our churches worship in the same way? Did you know that uh, some of them worship in styles that are different than your style? Did you know that that's Okay. We don't have to all do it the same. We have the same Lord. We have the same Bible. We hold the same theological convictions. We have the same mission of reaching people with the gospel, but we don't all do it the same, and that's okay. So we value varying models of ministry. Why am I talking to you about these things? I'm talking to you about these things because God wants to use all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people, and you're a part of a group of churches that are seeking to do that. For our text today, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 11, and this is a text that really is about a church that was planted and that grew and that God used to expand his kingdom. And I want us to learn some things, some marks, we'll call them, marks of a, of a church that God would use or marks of a healthy church. What would these marks be that we see here described in Acts chapter 11? The church is the church at Antioch. And um, as we read about this church, I want us to see what the Lord would say to us um, through this passage. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, we'll read through verse 30 the end of the chapter. Now, 
those who were scattered, let's stop, stop for a minute and talk about who those were. Keep your place in Acts chapter 11 and go back to Acts chapter 8 verse 1. You know that the book of Acts is a historical narrative and it's telling the story of the, of the birth and the expansion of the church. So the church is birthed in Jerusalem, and then it begins to expand out from there. How does it expand out? Here's what happened. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, um, You're my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the utmost part of the earth. He said, I want you to go and be my witnesses in all of these places. You know what the church in Jerusalem did? They did not go. Jesus said go, and they said no. And they sat there. And you know how long they stayed there? They stayed there until Stephen was stoned to death. And then when Stephen was stoned to death, recorded in the book of Acts, it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, uh, verse 60 says, falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It means he died. So that's what happened to Stephen and Saul, who we're soon going to know is who? Paul, Saul, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. The laymen were scattered. And they went to all these different places. So Acts chapter 11, verse 19 tells us some more about those who were scattered. And those who were scattered, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, see the connection? Got the connection there between those two? So they were scattered because of the persecution. Now where do they travel? They travel as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Do you know where Cyprus is? Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean. And Cyrene, anybody been to Cyrene this last week? No visitors to Cyrene? Cyrene is North Africa. So you got people from this Mediterranean island and North Africa who are in Antioch, and what do they do? They gather in Antioch, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So at first, the word was only being spoken to Jews, to, in verse 19, to no one except Jews, but now these men from, these people from different places are gathering together and they're speaking not only to Jews, but also to Gentiles and they're preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord and and the report of this came to the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So Antioch's a little bit north, and the church at Jerusalem, which is the mother church, you know, First Baptist Church Jerusalem, hears about what's happening in Antioch, and they say, we better go check on that, see what's happening there. And so the church at Jerusalem sent, verse 22, Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, Barnabas saw the grace of God, and he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So who was Antioch, or who was Barnabas, verse 24? Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas left Antioch and he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. 
Saul at this point had been converted. And when he had found Saul, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church, and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Are you ever called a Christian? Do you know where it first happened? In Antioch, right here. This is the first time people were called Christians. Little Christ. Now, in these days... Prophets came down from Jerusalem. Why do they say they came down from Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem was elevated. It was an elevated place. And so anytime they talked about leaving Jerusalem, they talked about coming down. We would say they went up because we think about north as being up. They said they came down because they're thinking about elevation. So they came came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there'd be a great famine over all the world. (coughs) and this took place during the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief, that means give money, to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Father, we pray that today as we look at your word, you'd help us to understand it and to apply it to our lives and to our church We pray that we would be the kind of people that you would use, the kind of church that you would use to expand your kingdom and bring glory to your name. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of gathering with other believers. We realize, Lord, that we're not the first to do that, that this has been going on since the days of of Antioch 2,000 years ago. Believers have been gathering and declaring the good news of Christ. We thank you that we stand uh, in the line with those first believers. Help us to be found faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. So if you didn't know who wrote the book of Acts, how would you find out? You take your Bible and you turn back to the very beginning of the book of Acts, and there's a little paragraph there that's not Scripture that says, here's some things you ought to know about the book of Acts before you start reading it. So that's a great way for us to understand a little bit more about the book, the books that we're reading in the Bible. It gives us a context. Uh, who did Luke write the book of Acts to? Tougher question, huh? You know this guy. He went to third grade with you, right? Theophilus. You know Theophilus, right? So his name is Theophilus, and Luke wrote to Theophilus not only the book of Acts, but he also wrote to Theophilus the Gospel of Luke. And he's trying to tell Theophilus, his friend, here's kind of what happened in the life of Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. And then in the book of Acts, he's saying, here's here's the history of the planting and the growth and the expansion of the church. And so you see that in the book of Acts. That's what this is. So as he writes to Theophilus here in Acts chapter 11, he says, um, Theophilus, I want you to know what's happening at what happened at Antioch. Here's what happened: these people from different cultures, Mediterranean culture, African culture, these people from different cultures, because of the persecution of Stephen, were scattered. And they ended up gathering in Antioch, and there, these people came together, not because of culture or ethnicity. What brought these people together in Antioch? Their faith in Jesus. That's what brought them together. So the thing that attracted these people in Antioch to form this church 
was their faith in Christ. And as they got together and began to talk to each other, they also began to talk to others. Are you doing that? They began to talk to others about the Lord Jesus. And as they did that, not because they were talking to others only, but because they were talking to others and God's hand was upon them. That's what the text says. Because God's hand was upon them, things began to change. People came to faith. In fact, this, this, their experience of, of kind of spiritual awakening was so profound that the church in Jerusalem heard about it and said, we better go check on them. And so the church at Jerusalem sent this guy named Barnabas up there to check on them. And Barnabas got there and said, there's more work here than I can do by myself. I need some help. I'm going to go get Paul. And so he goes to get Paul and brings Paul down there. And Paul and Barnabas work with the church in Antioch to help these people not only come to faith, but to grow and be established in their faith. You might not be as familiar with the church at Antioch as you are with other churches. Um, you might not be as familiar as with the church at Antioch because, um, well, do you know about the church at Corinth? You know anything about the church at Corinth? Probably you do if you've read your New Testament. And you do because Paul wrote an epistle or a letter to the church at Corinth. What did he call that letter? Corinthians. He wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. What did he call that letter? Philippians. He wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. What did he call that letter? Ephesians. You guys are really good. He wrote a letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. What did he call that letter? Galatians. He wrote a letter to the church at Antioch. What did he call that letter? Careful. Careful. We, we don't know that he wrote a letter. If he did, I guess he'd call it Antiochians. I don't know what they'd call it. But he didn't write a letter. So we're not as familiar with the church at Antioch, but we do know some things about it because Luke tells us about it here. And so, what do we know about this church at Antioch? This was a church, if we turn the page to Acts chapter 13, I think, we read about the elders at the church at Antioch laying their hands on some men, and, and these two men then were sent out to be to the, on the first missionary journey. So, it was the church at Antioch that sent Paul out on his very first missionary journey. This is a church, what I'm trying to say to you is, this is a church that God used. Antioch was a unique church, a church that God was using in a powerful way. So the question then is, if God's using the church at Antioch, are there things we can learn about the church at Antioch that would help us as we think about what kind of church should we be? Do you understand what we're trying to discover here? Trying to know... What could we learn from Antioch that would help us be the kind of church that God would use, that would help Orchard Community Church be the kind of church that God would use? Well, the first thing I would point out to you from this text, these are, uh, these are not my ideas. These are the, the things that, are, that Luke makes sure that we see. The first thing I would note to us is that the church at Antioch was a church that cooperated. They cooperated. They work together. There are people from many different places working together. We already noted this to establish the church. God blesses churches that cooperate. The church was planted by those that were scattered because of the killing of Stephen from all these different places. It was this cooperation that founded the church 
at Antioch. And Antioch became then a church that believed in cooperation beyond their local church. So people from outside came and helped them to establish the church. People from outside came and helped them to help the church be healthy, Barnabas and, and Paul or Saul. And then once the church was established, they said, we're not just concerned about ourselves. We're concerned about cooperating, and so let's do that. Do you know from the Did You Know file, did you know that Southern Baptists cooperate at different levels? There are different levels of, uh, of our denomination. The most important level of the denomination is the local church. Some denominations are like a pyramid, and the top of the denomination is that presbytery or that pope or that whatever. That's not the way Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches operate. Our pyramid is turned upside down. And so the top, the most important level, is the local church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. So you are the point of the spear. You are the, you are the, you're the part of the, the, the body that, that reaches into your community. When people have a crisis, they don't call the associational office. They call the church. When people have a crisis, they don't call the director of missions. They call their next-door neighbor who's loved them in the name of Jesus or their co-worker who's loved them in the name of Jesus who's let them know, I'll pray for you if there's a way I can pray for you. They call that, that, uh, that lady that goes to, to play day with their kids. That's who they call. You're the point of the spear. You're the ones that make the difference. So when we think about Southern Baptists and who we are as Southern Baptists, recognize that Southern Baptist life operates on a number of different levels, and the most important level is the local church. The organization closest to the local church is the association. That's where I come in. So we work with local churches. We work with local churches, and we, we communicate together, and we cooperate together to try to reach this regional area with the gospel. Then there's a state convention, and there's a national convention. You know about our national convention. You know some of these entities. You know about the International Mission Board. You know about them and the North American Mission Board. You know about our seminaries. Uh, these are all things that we do together because we as Southern Baptists cooperate together. God blesses churches that cooperate. And Orchard Community Church is one of those churches. Your church is involved not only as a member, but as an active member of this association. Your pastor, Ben Crow, is well respected by the other pastors of this association. So you're involved in cooperating with other churches. You're not saying we're the only thing that matters. We're not, we're not saying we're independent and nobody else matters because that's not what the, the New Testament teaches us to do. Cooperation, by the way, was biblical long before it was Baptist. Did you know that? It was biblical long before it was Baptist. We don't cooperate because we're Baptist. We cooperate because it's the biblical model that we're called to. Second thing I would note in this text is that God blesses churches who are led by spirit-filled leaders. Look at verse 24. In verse 24, it talks about Barnabas and how Barnabas was giving leadership in this church. And what does it say to us about Barnabas? It says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. 
and a great many people were added to the Lord. The church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas to check out this new work, this beginning of the church at Antioch, and, and they didn't just send anybody. They sent someone who was marked as a man who was spirit-filled. One of the things that we know about churches is that uh, they're going to be impacted significantly by those who lead their churches. So when I talk about leaders at Orchard Community Church, I'm not just talking about Ben Crow. I'm talking about all of you who take leadership responsibility. And God blesses churches where the leaders are spirit-filled people. I loved your prayer a while ago when you said, you know, God, we really want to seek your face. That's what we want. God is looking for, God is going to use, God is using people who are spirit-filled, who are saying, Lord, I belong to you. We're a vessel. That's all we are. You fill us up with your spirit. You use us for your glory. Some of you know um, Dave Mitchell. Dave Mitchell was a part of River Community Church for many, many years, and then God called Dave to plant a church on the west side of Wichita. And so Dave, with a couple hundred people from River, went to the west side and planted West Ridge Community Church. And now that church is, is ministering to multiplied hundreds of people. Why is God blessing that church? I'll tell you one reason I believe they're blessed, that God's blessing that church is because it's led by spirit-filled leaders, Dave Mitchell and others. That's the kind of church God uses. Now, we all know, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear me say that we can do these five things and then God automatically has to bless the church. I'm not saying that. God blesses whom he chooses to bless us. God is sovereign. God does what he chooses to do. But what we can do is we can put ourselves in a position for God to bless us. You can't make your tomato plants produce tomatoes, but you can do some things to create an environment that would allow that to happen, right? So that's what we're talking about. What are the things that we need to be doing to produce an environment where God could work through us in a mighty and a miraculous way, a wonderful way for his glory? One of those things is be a cooperating church, a church that's not just about themselves. Another one is be a church that's led by spirit-filled leaders, where Men and women who give leadership in the church are seeking the face of God. And as you do that, by the way, as you do that as, as leaders, and as you do that as church members, you provide the very best advertisement you can provide for your church. You know the primary reason people come to church? It's not because you post on social media. It's not because you take an ad out in the newspaper or because you put ads on TV or the radio. It's because they know somebody who goes there, who invites them to come, and they see that person as someone who loves them and cares about them. Do you know the marks of the people who walk with Jesus? I bet you do. The Bible tells us what they are. The Bible says that they are spirit-filled people who are full of love and joy and peace and hope and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control. The best advertisement for our churches, the best, the, the best promotion of us being a place where people will be blessed is for us to be that kind of people. So God uses churches that are led by spirit-filled believers. Third thing I note in this text is that God blesses churches that keep their focus on the gospel. 
They keep their focus on the gospel. Look at verse 20. It says, There were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. And what were they preaching? The Lord Jesus. They were preaching the gospel. You know, what people need is Jesus. What people need is a relationship with Christ. And as we reach out to others, we're not trying to win them to make them a part of our church. We're not trying to convince them that this is the greatest church ever. We're trying to help them come to know Jesus. Because Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is the, the only thing that can redeem lost people. Jesus is the, the thing that holds families together. Jesus is the, is, is the answer. He's the answer. So what kind of church should we be? We should be a church that's focused on sharing Christ with people. You know, there was a time when the, uh, the cool thing to be as a church was to be missional. And that was, I don't know, you're probably not in those circles, but I'm in the circles I'm in, you know, they talk about what's the right kind of church to be. And everybody wanted to be a missional church. You've got to be a missional church. And missional really means nothing new. It's just doing what Jesus said we're supposed to do when he said to love your neighbor as yourself. That's all it is, being missional, being intentionally loving your neighbors. And then we wanted to be a church that was gospel-centered. Well, we're all for gospel-centered. That's what this church at Antioch is about. It's just about us being about people coming to know Christ and that being the means by which they can be changed. Did you know that it's not your job to make this church grow? It's not your job to make this church grow. It's your job to love people in the name of Christ and to help them to know him. God will take care of the rest. Jesus said, I will build my church. We don't have to do that. We just have to be faithful to do what he's called us to do, and that is to live before others in the name of Christ and share Christ with them. So this church was preaching the Lord Jesus. They were proclaiming the good news of the Messiah who was without sin, and yet he became sin for us so that we could be right with God. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus who is without sin became sin for us so that we could be right with God through Jesus. It's the only way we can be right with God. God blesses churches that are focused on that. Heard somebody the other day say this, and I thought that's exactly right. They said the first thing every organization does, the first thing every organization does is forget what they're supposed to be doing. Do we ever do that? Do we ever forget what we're supposed to be doing? I think we do it in business. I think we do it in churches. I think we do it in life. And so we want to continually reorient ourselves, redirect ourselves, think again about what is our primary job. Our primary job, our great commission is to make disciples of all people. Last thing I want to mention to you from this text today is God blesses churches that are generous. God blesses churches that are generous. There's a strange two or three verses at the end of our text. I don't know if you caught this or not, but at the end of our text, in verses 28 through 30, there was this man named Agabus, and he was a prophet. And he went to Antioch, and notice what he says, verse 28. He stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. 
So what the disciples do? They determine, verse 29, everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it by the elders to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So here's what it sounds like to me happened. Agabus says, there's going to be a famine. And the people said, then let's give to it. Agabus did not say there is a famine. He said there's going to be. This is going to happen. And they so believed him and so wanted to be obedient to God and so wanted to be generous that they said, let's take an offering for, for a crisis that hasn't yet happened, but we think it's going to. <coughs> and so they did. God blesses generous churches. God uses generous churches. Orchard Community Church is generous in their giving. If you stay on track, um, giving the way that you're currently giving to what is called uh, the cooperative program, it's the, it's the money that goes to help support the work of our state convention and the work of our national convention. If you stay on track as a church, by the end of the year, I think you'll have given over $10,000 over $10, to the cooperative program. That's significant. Why are you doing that? Because you want to be generous. You also give to help support the work of Heart of Kansas, Southern Baptist Association. So those are two different offerings that you're involved in giving to to help carry on the work of God. It's a matter of you as a church being generous, being open-handed. read a story about a dad who took his little girl to a football game, a high school football game, and about partway through the third quarter, this little girl, her name was Landra, Landra said to her dad, Dad, can I have some money to buy some candy? This little girl is like five years old. Can I have some money to buy some candy? Her dad said, you know, I'm not really a big candy guy, but she wanted some candy, and so I gave her $5 and told her to go buy some candy, and in a little while she came back, with a bag full of Skittles, and she's eating her Skittles. After a while, he said to her, he said, Landra, can I have some Skittles? And she said, no. And he said, Landra, give me a couple of Skittles. And she said, they're mine. He said, my little daughter didn't understand several things. Number one, she didn't understand that the fact that I was the one who bought the Skittles to start with. Number two, she didn't realize how strong I am. If I wanted to, I could forcibly take the Skittles away from her and have them all for me. And number three, she didn't understand that I could have gone to the concession stand and put 300 packages of Skittles on a credit card and had more Skittles than we could eat. Did you know we all have Skittles? We all have Skittles, and some of us have pretty nice-sized pile of Skittles, and others have a medium-sized pile of Skittles, and some of us have little bags of Skittles. But do you know where our Skittles came from? What do you have? What do you have that you do not receive from God? And if you did receive it from God, why do you boast as if you didn't? That's what the Scripture says. What happens when our loving God comes to us and says, would you give me some Skittles? 
Just a few? Now, what do we say? No. They're my Skittles. I'm going to keep them for me. And God says, just bring me some Skittles. Don't we understand that he's the one who made the Skittles? Don't we understand that that he has the power to take all the Skittles we have away from us? Don't we understand that if he wanted to, he could buy more Skittles than we could swim through? Our generosity starts with us understanding whose we are and where all we have comes from. God blesses churches, and churches can be generous when its people are generous. God used this church at Antioch. It was blessed by God. It was used by God. They were ones that God used to send out missionaries, to do all of this missionary work that's recorded in the book of Acts, to to reach into places like Ephesus and Corinth. God is using those kinds of churches. God is using Orchard Community Church. I was thinking about it. I was thinking, you know, at the end of a sermon, you ought to be able to ask the question, so what? What's the so what of this sermon? I think here's the so what of this sermon. Here's what I want you to leave here remembering. Here's what I want you to leave here thinking about. I want you to leave here realizing that God is at work in this place. God is doing something good at Orchard Community Church. I want you to be encouraged I want you to be affirmed. I want you to realize that what God is doing here is important. And you right now are just at the beginning stages of seeing how God is going to bless and use this church to expand his kingdom across this community, across this city, even around the world. Be encouraged, church. My prayer is that God would continue to bless you as you are faithful to do his work. Let me pray for you. Father, we do love you. We know that not only everything we have comes from you, but we know that we belong to you. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We are your people and the sheep of your pasture. We know that Jesus is our only hope and that the only way that we have a relationship with you is through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Lord, I pray for these people as individuals and for this congregation that they would be encouraged as they see you work. And even in times, Lord, when they don't see the work, they would know that you're at work to bring about your glory and to do good to people who seek your face. Bless these people, Lord. Pour your grace and mercy upon them. Give them encouragement. I pray for Ben and Rose as they give leadership here, Lord, that you would encourage and affirm them and build them up in the faith. I pray that you'd use... uh, each member of this congregation to encourage one another uh, toward good works for your glory. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.